I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. The Lion's Mouth Opens, Lucy Walker's critically acclaimed short documentary, begins at a dinner between the actress and filmmaker Mariana Palka and her friends the night before she gets results from a genetic test that will tell her whether she carries the gene for Huntington's disease. Palka's father has had a long battle with the neurodegenerative disorder, and she has a 50% chance of having the gene that causes it. As the film readies to debut on HBO June 1st at 8 p.m., we spoke to Palka about her decision to document her experience, why she chose to be tested, and whether it is better to know or not know. Because of the nature of the film, we have agreed not to discuss her test results for listeners who may not yet have seen it. Mariana, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. How did the Lion's Mouth Opens come about? The Lion's Mouth Opens came about because um, I contacted Lissy Walker. I had her number because Moby, the musician, and I had done a music video together, and um, he had suggested that given the fact that we were both going to Sundance with a movie, that we hang out with each other, which we agreed to do through email, and we were so excited about each other's work. I've always respected her work, and um, as a documentary filmmaker, she's just unbelievable. So I was excited to meet her because I'm a narrative film director. I don't have um, any experience making documentaries other than this. Um, So (laughs) that's how I got her number. And then when um, all this began, this process um, of making the documentary, um, I felt like she was the one to do it. So I called her. (laughs) She agreed to do it. Her documentaries include Wasteland, a work about a, a Brazilian artist who creates art out of garbage, and The Devil's Playground, a, a film about rites of passage, about Amish teens who get to experience the modern world before deciding whether to embrace or abandon the Amish lifestyle. In some ways, there's a, a common theme of transformation, but what was it about her work that made you want to entrust your story to her? I saw all those movies, and I also saw The Crash Reel, which was also shortlisted for an Oscar, like Lion's Mouth. And um, I think there's a through line in her work that has to do with sharing pain, you know, and actually not carrying it yourself, but giving it to those in your life who can heal you while you're dealing with it. Um, It's alchemy. I think that we all, as filmmakers and artists, are alchemists. You know, in my community of people that I know, my, my musician friends and um, my boyfriend is a musician and my whole world of, of acting friends. Like, I, I like to think that, that in our work making film, we're alchemists, where we take something that's dark and bring it into the light by sharing. And I think Lucy's part of that, and she does that very well. <laughs> Bob Dylan was one of several people asked to write in 25 words or less what Woody Guthrie meant to him after Guthrie died of Huntington's disease. Dylan ended up writing a, a five-page poem, which you recite in the film, and it's it's where the title, The Lion's Mouth Open, is derived from. What does that phrase mean to you? Um, 
embracing the shadow, you know, and bringing shadows into the light and figuring out how to, you know, go through a wave, you know, not get pummeled by a wave, but kind of aim which way your body's going to go when it comes to you. So, in fact, you're never pummeled. You just triumph. <laughs> um, I love that poem so much because when Bob wrote it, he knew what he was writing about. He was writing about Woody Guthrie's dementia and his uh, helplessness and yet, like, his bravery and grace and being an artist has so much to do with having those things in spades and, and cultivating them and cultivating them in your community. And I've just been so inspired recently because I was just at a property in Woodstock where uh, Bob Dylan actually made an album. And I'm obsessed with um, his love for Woody Guthrie and, and I'm completely awestruck by it. And I think because I was so young when I first heard the poem and I felt like no one... Knew, people didn't know enough about Huntington's disease and people still don't necessarily know enough about it and it's good to, to raise awareness about it and the fact that Bob Dylan knew what he was talking about with it felt like we were all together in it and it felt to me like it would be the easiest poem to learn in the world because it's the most beautiful poem it's such a, a gift to a friend it's so loving um, and so I learned it very quickly as a as a teenager. I think I was 14 when I learned that poem because at the time I had lost my dad and I mean he was he's still alive but he's he's very ill and so I felt very seen by that poem. I felt like um it made the world a better place and still does. <laughs> and I should make clear your father has Huntington's disease. My father is yeah in stage 5 or or more of Huntington's disease, yeah. Well, it's, it's in a very emotional part of the film when you recite the poem and you can hear it in your voice and it's made all the more heart-wrenching with the clips of what appear to be late-stage Huntington patients cut into the film as you recite it. Where did those clips come from and, and do you know Lucy's thinking including uh -huh. them there? Uh -huh. A lot of them are from YouTube. A lot of them are um, from just the community and her thinking and putting it there was basically that nobody knows about this disease. You know, it's like hidden or it's been something that was taboo for a long time and it still sometimes in some families is taboo to talk about it. I mean, um, I've had people come up to me saying that, you know, their, their loved ones passed away from Huntington's disease but other family members had lied about what it was and pretended that it really wasn't Huntington's disease. You know, there was a lot of... Um, ignorance and and fear around uh what really is uh something that that can be healed and cured uh through a, a lifestyle um and having the kind of resources and the kind of um information and nutrition <laughs> um that really enable a person to soar in their life and so um instead of sort of shoving everybody away and being like, we don't want to talk about that, we felt like embracing it and being like, look at this, this is what it is, these are the symptoms, and this is what it really manifests like for these people. Um, and they're not separate from us, you know, they aren't like anything um, to be shunned, um, they're to be embraced and, and, and helped. Um, 
And I think that that part of what happens in the Huntington's disease community sometimes is that people feel alone. I think the disease can manifest further and, sh- and, and even stronger if a person feels like they're alone in this, you know. And the reality, um, my belief system and my the way I live my life is, is really based on this idea that no one is alone and that we're all in this together. And um, I like to think that the documentary reflects that also. And so to not include people who have symptoms of Huntington's disease felt like uh, we were doing sort of a disservice to educating people. Um, in educating people, it gets good because people don't now know what it is. And someone actually... There's been a, a few cases of people being arrested and um, people being beaten up by policemen because they're showing signs of Huntington's disease and people, uh, the policemen assume that they're just drunk or they're crazy or, you know, whatever it is. And, and in a given situation, perhaps someone who's, a, who's showing signs of Huntington's disease doesn't have the ability to say, hey, man, like, this is what I have. I have this illness. And what tends to happen is when people are stressed out, then they have even more signs of Huntington's disease. So um, then they appear even more, quote, unquote, crazy, which I never like to use that word. Like John Cassavetes never used that word when describing his most interesting characters. <laughs> so like in in my work as, as a film director, I never use the term crazy. But um, I think it's what the poem's about as well. Like the poem is about like what happens when you... Are, are in dementia and, and perhaps what was happening for Woody when he was losing his, and perhaps what was happening for my dad as well when he was losing his sense of, of being here, you know, and we'll never really know like what that felt like for them. But I think that the poem illustrates a little bit of that pain and a little bit of that sorrow and a, and a, and a lot of the triumph um, of us kind of just, of us loving them. <laughs> well, you, you watched your dad's transformation through the disease. I, I believe he became symptomatic when you were eight. Is that right? True. That's and, true. And you watched the, the, the changes he underwent. What was that like as a child to see? And, and as an adult, does it become different in that this might reflect part of your potential future? Well, that's like a two-part question. So, um, as a child, I was completely blown away by by it. Like it felt like he was being washed away, and um, he became a ghost, like a living ghost, and not a human being to me. Um, from my perspective, it felt like he wasn't any of the things that he w- was before. Um, and losing everything like that, I think, is you know, has been like the most defining it was the most defining thing for for a young person to go through. But at the same time, um it was defining in a lot of very positive ways. Like I I believe that I became very much my own parent, very much my own father figure. I was very um adamant about what I had to do in life and that I was um you know ready to to go on the stage immediately when I was 17. Like, I was prematurely matured, I think, because of it. I just was an adult by the time I was 12, you know? Um, so when I when I hit New York at 17, I already felt like I'd lived a lot um, because I had. And also, I think, it gave me this real super rich experience 
emotionally and I've always been able to be emotionally connected to my body and emotionally connected to what's going on um, even with people around me and I think that behooves like the the journey of an actor you know I think it um, it heals you to be able to bring to the stage your emotional life but also in a way that's like not abusive to yourself but actually self-loving and and I feel like I got through a lot of stuff in my time in New York um, just because of being on the stage, just having that stage time was so wonderful and glorious in so many ways. And then when I directed my first feature film, it felt a lot like it would have been so great, you know, if my dad could have been part of the the joy of that and the way that other people's dads get to be, you know, but it's, it's, it's the thing, like some people don't have moms, some people lost their sibling and, and we just happened to lose our dad, you know, and, and in the loss, we learned so much. Um, so in a lot of beautiful ways, it was an incredibly positive thing, um, given that I've been this overachieving artist. Um, I can see that, that I don't, I, like, I, I really don't know if I would have been so adamantly successful or like like pushed myself as much as I do and have um like I did 21 films in a year and a half and I keep doing more and more work um when you say did you don't mean watched (laughs) no I did like I I acted and directed two films I acted in like a bunch of films I did a zombie movie (laughs) I did a, a Scottish comedy that I also produced called Scottish Muscle that's going to be at Edinburgh Film Festival on June 26th. So that's going to be a riot and so funny. And I was actually doing that film when I got a call about Lionsmith getting shortlisted for the Oscar and that I, I had to come back to the States to do that campaign, which is essentially like running for president, but just wearing a pretty dress. <laughs> <laughs> so that was brilliant. But um, yeah, I mean, it's been this really it's been this really interesting experience it's it's the way that life goes you know like you can say that you wish that this person was still here but like we wouldn't be who we who we are now like I I'm so close to my mom I'm so close to my sister I'm so close to to my loving family members in this way because we went through this thing of losing him and uh and I feel like I know him so deeply and he the love that he gave me between the age of zero to, to eight, just as beyond anything that, um, that I can even fathom, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like he's still here in all these ways. And, um, but as you became an adult and, and could, could bring a different perspective to that and considered getting genetic testing for yourself, did, did it cause you to think differently about your, your dad or yourself? Uh, you mean getting the test? Did the test make me think differently about it? Well, just just as you were contemplating the test itself, and and you know having an adult understanding well, of of what your father, what was happening. Well, to your it's father. such a snow globe of emotions and and feelings to even have Huntington's disease in your family. Like it's this constant, fascinating challenge, um, and. So it it's like these are these are elements and di- dynamics that have always been at play and and that we've always like all of us always grappled with you know and I think that to a certain extent everybody grapples with the same concepts of uh, life and death you know and and we do um, 
we all have a death and we all have a life. So there's a, there's a certain quality of certainty that I feel like people are seeking, uh, sometimes that I actually, I actually think, um, is slightly futile, you know, because we're, we're all going to die. <laughs> so, so there's no way to know what's going to happen. You know, there's no way to know if tomorrow, um, everything will change in regards to how we all relate to a certain issue. You know what I mean? Like, I just think that, that, that everyone looks for these certainty, certainties and then inevitably we get to another maybe and another uncertainty. And I think that's great about life. Like, I think it's such a great lesson and I think it's part of why when people get older, they just get cooler and, and more fun. And just, you know, I feel like people let go with, with wisdom. Um, and I think that, that the thing that I have learned is something that my family has given me, which is the gift of kindness and being able to be sweet to people and, and genuinely like just waking up every day with a joyful attitude and, and really finding kindness everywhere I go. And actually, I'm a kind director. Like, that's how I run a set. That's how I operate as captain of the ship, you know, when I have however many um, people under me or around me. I um, I like to see them as, as in a circle around me and not necessarily that I'm the head of everybody and that, you know, we're all in this together. And I think that actually makes kindness makes for a real productive set as opposed to being a fear-based director or trying to manipulate anybody. I don't have any of that in me. I just really enjoy multitasking and, and getting the job done. And people described my sets and have described my recent sets too as like being at a spa because <laughs> it's so relaxing. <laughs> and I take that as such a compliment, honestly. I really love that because I believe so much in health and, and in being good to people and in being good at home and at work, you know, like I really love being good to my boyfriend in so many ways. Like I, I think that the being nice to the person who you are getting coffee from in the morning, it, it changes everybody's day, yours included. And I think there really doesn't need to be like to speak more spiritually, there really doesn't need to be one uh, harsh words shared, whether it's between me and an actor that I'm directing or whether it's between me and and my boyfriend, Zach, who is amazing. Like, I, I just really have this, like, tenderness, and I feel like it has so much to do with valuing life and valuing the time that we all have here, which is not infinite. Like, it's everybody's on a clock, and nobody knows when we're exiting. But while we're here, I think it's really important to be good to each other. And, um, like what Ellen says every day when she, when she signs off, she says, like, be kind to each other. Um, and it's what Bob Dylan was singing about. It's what Woody Guthrie was singing about. It's what, like, Lucy Walker's making her movies about too. Like, we're all on the same page, you know? Um, so I feel very, um, grateful for, for all the kindness that, I get, I get to mirror. <laughs> You're in the minority in deciding to have yourself tested. Uh, according to the film, less than 10% of the people at risk get a gene test. Why did you decide to get tested? I don't know. Like, I think uh, I have different answers to that question on different days. 
I think that it's like Walt Whitman, you know, he said, do I contradict myself? Very well, then I contradict myself. I'm vast. I contain multitudes. You know, there's days where I have a real super funny answer to that question, and then there's days where, <laughs> you know, I don't know the answer to that question today. But I know that I know that it was an option <laughs> that presented itself, and and I think that 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 it was either like a I I don't know it might have been a fear based decision it might have been a decision based in courage you know it might have been a decision based in love like it's all those things something that is so much more complex than you can put into words. <laughs> For a lot of people in the rare disease community that got something wrong with them that the doctor can't put a name to or you have difficulties in getting a diagnosis, it's often a long odyssey, seven years on average, and, and they finally have a name to put on what's wrong with them. Huntington's disease is unusual because you're pre-symptomatic and deciding whether or not to get this test. Is knowing better than not knowing? No, because it's not knowing still. There's, it's still not knowing. And therefore, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why I think some people don't get the test because they're clear on the fact that life is uncertain. So everything is possibility. And therefore, there's a wonderful peace in that. But there's no such thing actually as something wrong with people. You know what I mean? Like I feel like Sickness or illness isn't necessarily something that's wrong. It's something that can be uh, healed or cured, you know. Mariana Palka, filmmaker and actress and subject of the short documentary, The Lion's Mouth Opens, which debuts on HBO June 1st at 8 p.m. Mariana, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, man. It was great talking to you. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com. <laughs>